Hello and welcome to Create, Talk, Repeat. My name is Dustin Brenton. On today's episode, I spoke with music producer Luke Boker-Smith. We discussed his solo project, Parlor Magic, and how it's one of my favorites. We also discussed his influences from Green Day to Arctic Monkeys to my favorite band, The Killers. We also discussed how you don't have to be able to read music to make music, but it's helpful if you can. But before we get to that interview, here's a word from our sponsor. Stay tuned. Hey, if you enjoyed this podcast, visit anchor.fm. It's a great way to build your own podcast and get paid while doing it. That's anchor.fm. Back to the show. Hello, and today on Create Talk Repeat, we have Luke Boker-Smith. Luke, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Dustin. Happy to be here. Now, um... You know, I invited Luke to be on the uh, the podcast because of his music. Um, uh, it goes by the name Parlor Magic, and uh, we'll dive into that. But um, let's just start by asking you, uh, what do you create? So what do I, I mean, I would say that in, in the context of, of Parlor Magic world, the most straightforward answer would be music, specifically kind of 80s synth pop inspired indie pop, I would say. Genres have always been a little difficult. Um, I also, you know, I, I'm not a huge I don't put much importance on genres regardless, but when it comes to my music, I've always felt I begin to stumble over my words when someone asks me what kind of music I make. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's electronic. It, the structures are from the pop rock kind of pantheon and, uh, the sounds are, are nostalgic. I would say yeah. it definitely has a, a vintage sound to it. Um, it's one of my one of my favorites. It's in my uh, my rotation of the. Yep. Uh, I have a playlist of songs that I like, and it's the, the whole album is on there. The, your first album, uh, the, the the fluid neon origami trick, um, is is uh, is one that's on there because it's a it's a fan it's a favorite of mine. Um, what with the the name? Where'd the name come from? So the name for the album actually is pulled from a book called Neuromancer. Um, mm-hmm. it is by William Gibson. Uh, it's an early, it's a sci-fi book, but it's sort of credited with, uh, inventing the genre of cyberpunk to some degree. I think it was published in, I want to say 1980, maybe 82. Um, but it's a bit of a dystopian cyberpunk novel, um, that it was something that I, I first read actually in, in college, probably six or seven years ago, but it always stuck with me. And there were a couple of Gibson is just an, an incredible writer, and his his gift is really in painting these sort of pictures that aren't even necessarily at the core of the story, but he he's amazing at developing these settings and scenes, and just the imagery is really bright. And um, I ended up underlining like half of that book the first time I read it, and one of the phrases that that I underlined um, was a f- fluid neon origami trick. Yeah. Um, well, and, and it goes well with the album art and the and the every single that you've released off the album has a different uh, yeah. look to it as well. Are, do you create the art or is that somebody no, else? No, no, no. That's actually a very good friend of mine, an incredible um, digital artist by the name of Alex Dupuy. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's phenomenal. He makes this incredible sort of generative uh, feedback sort of, uh, how, do I even, how do I say it? Generative kind of computer generated visuals um mm-hmm. using a coding language called glsl mm-hmm. um in a program called max msp jitter yeah um 
And he was actually a, a kind of a teacher of mine um, in college. He was a grad student when I was in undergrad. And he taught me a lot about Max and, and coding visuals. And he helped me with some other stuff I was working on. But I've always just independently of that loved his art. Um, yeah. It's and, a beautiful, it's beautiful artwork. I mean, it has, yeah, it definitely you know, has a, has that but, retro vibe to it. And, yeah. uh, and all of the, uh, all of the individual pieces of, of art, like all the individual single art, the album art, everything, they actually are stills of animations that he did. Mm -hmm. um, so those, I think I threw up, because there, there, there's one for every song, actually, even the non-singles. Those are like on Spotify. If you go to play it on an iPhone or something, you can see the visuals animating. Um, yeah. But those are all systems that he coded. He's a wizard. I that's sort of the best way I could describe it. Um, yeah. But he's really, he's fantastic. And it, it fits really well, not knowing where the, uh, the ethos of the name came from uh, for the fluid neon origami trick. I thought it was something you just... You know, like you had the artwork and then you just came up with the name. I didn't know it came from from a story. So it, yeah. it all kind of fits together really well. Right. Yeah. It's sort of um, I didn't know going in that that was going to be the name of the album. I had a couple of different working titles that sort of went through. And then when I was mixing it back here in New York in the sort of late summer of 2020, I wanted to overdub a couple of lyrics and i was having trouble just finishing a, a couple of small things and I, I sort of like to jog my inspiration i reread neuromancer and for the second time that phrase really stuck out to me and i said yeah yeah this is this seems to be a, a sort of fitting descriptor of of the sound of the album yeah yeah so i know you know when doing some research on you for this uh for this podcast i found that you also have done some uh, art installations in the past and some really cool stuff if uh, if people wanted to see it it's at uh, luke.fm luc.fm it's some really kind of cool um you know uh, mixture of uh, multimedia with uh, there's some organic uh, feel to it with the plant life and whatnot whatnot uh, and i really like the i'd love to see it in person yeah, uh, there was one called Node Five Five Eight that was was pretty cool looking. That I'm yeah. would be interested in seeing it in person at some point. But um, my the I want to know with the music or with art, whatever it might be. When did you start creating? When was this? Was this something that came later in life? Was it something as a kid you always were? Whether it was making music or doing sure. something on the computer or or what have you? How did where did it start at? Yeah, I think the the, the sort of short answer would be as a kid music. Um, you know, I think I always, I, I always had growing up, I had a bit of a sort of imposter complex. Cause like, I was never like, I played guitar as a kid. I, you know, in, when I was 10 years old, American idiot by green day came out and that sort of changed everything for me as, you know, I'm sure I'm not alone in that sentiment. <laughs> um, I started playing guitar and then from there I got, you know, logic of recording software and probably when I was 12 or 13 started beginning to just explore the world of recording, whatever that means. Um, I got a micro Korg, a, my first synthesizer right around that time as well. Um, and that, that was a moment for me where I sort of realized that because I think, I think a lot, a lot of it was born out of this idea that I, cause I was never a great guitarist and I took piano lessons at a very young age, but never, you know, I stopped them pretty early. I, I there was no instrument that I was super proficient at basically. I was, I was okay. Um, I think that when I got a synth, that sort of was, that unlocked something that allowed me to realize that, okay, I'm not a classically trained piano player and I'm not a great guitarist. I'm intermediate at best, but I understood that the depth of sounds and tones and textures that I could get out of just this micro Korg 
was probably my best shot at expression, mm -hmm. um, given that I wasn't able to, you know, just go to town on a guitar solo or something, something like that. Um, so that sort of was what like pushed me towards the idea of like being a quote unquote producer or what have you in high school. Um, I played in a couple of bands. I had like a fun kind of jam based band that was all instrumental for a long time. Um, but it was, you know, if, if you listened to it now and I mean, it's long off the internet, et cetera, but sure. you would hear a lot of the sort of, you know, the beginning of early ideas that would later come up in my music. Um, just namely the, the way that I use synths, the way that I use, um, like bass, especially, I think that that was all sort of in high school, but I didn't think I was going to do it as a, um, career or anything like that until, until I got to college. Um, and that was when I really sort of decided that, all right, this is, this is what I'm going to do. Well, you mentioned green day when you were yeah. 10 years old, sure. um, and American idiot came out, but your, your music has a much more vintage 80s kind of uh, synth pop sound. What kind of influences do you have musically that you listened to growing up? Was there stuff that you listened to, uh, you know, that's obviously older than you are? Absolutely. Um, was, what, what was kind of some of your influences uh, for the music? Right. So what's actually kind of funny about that is that obviously I have in sort of later on, gotten more into 80s music and, and listened mm -hmm. to a lot of you know i mean depeche mode is one of my all-time favorite bands um yeah. although i would say probably more of an emphasis on their 90s work than their 80s work mm -hmm. um but in terms of if we were to zoom out and go big picture like favorite artists of all time mm -hmm. um most of them are probably more or less contemporary to my childhood um and sort of mid teenage years to now Mm -hmm. um the the most important bands in the world to me are bands like the arctic monkeys or the strokes yeah um say the killers say the killers i love the killers that's fine i oh. saw the killers last week that's um, my that's my, oh you saw them last week that's my favorite week. that's that's my favorite band the the killers, yeah 100 percent. Yeah. they were i mean that i mean i'd like to see them put out another record that i think is as good as their first three um yeah yeah day and a and age is kind of the pinnacle for me with, with yeah that's a great album and and i even i even actually liked the um wonderful wonderful that mm -hmm. was i think that was the best thing they've done since day and age um yeah. but these last two um especially the last one which i and I, I mean look credit lots of credit for them taking such an unexpected step at this advanced stage in their career where yeah you know i sort of expected them to be churning out the same kind of shoot for the moon type single attempts uh for mm -hmm. the rest of the time and then when they came out with this last album the pressure machine is the name of it um yeah i i, I admire that i don't know it, it, here's a yeah, we're just we're off on a tangent right um, yeah, I know. well i, I can see why i can see yeah. why i i gravitate towards your music and why i like because you're mentioning all these artists that i also listen to you know the strokes and right. arctic monkeys and and then i made you say the killers yeah. <laughs> yeah. but um, but yeah, those are those are things that I listen to as well, and, and they do have that that sense, uh, well, somewhat to that sense uh, sound to them, especially the Killers so much. Um, right. It just has that that retro feel, maybe I should say. It well, kind of feels yeah. interestingly. Actually, as I think about this a little bit more, I think that probably the thing that I have in common with the the Killers, just in terms of style, I would never compare myself to Brandon Flowers, who's a fantastic songwriter, but. In terms of just sheer style, I think that it's why I always hesitate to call my music synth pop because the structures are are more rock, um, mm -hmm. and I think the Killers share that. They're a rock band 
where a lot of parts end up being played on synths. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, or at least early on, I mean, they have moved more away, more into like Heartland Rock and stuff as the yeah. years went on. But if you're just looking at Hot Fuss, for example, sure, that that's a rock album all the way mm -hmm. through. But they're just huge, catchy synth lines in place of huge, catchy guitar lines. Well, that's the same with music from the '80s. I mean, if we look yeah. at you know Van Halen had the synth, oh, you had the, the Cars. Uh, was heavy in sense, and um, oh, there was a third one that I had in my brain, and now I've lost it. Um, Rush occasionally had the sure. synth as well, and so you had that rock band, but they also included synth, and that, I love that. That's a great mix for me because I love the electronic sound. I grew up listening to, you know, Def Leppard and uh, Warrant and Poison and all those hair right. bands. But when you infuse electronic synth in with it forget about it I'm exactly. on it. i guess i guess what i was trying to say with that is that i think that that's why because when i say synth pop i think more like duran duran or mm -hmm. even like new wave stuff like new order or joy division yeah. and um i think that my music is decidedly not in that vein which is why it's confusing to call it synth pop but mm -hmm. i think that what it really is is pop um or even rock in places that makes heavy 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 use of synths you know and and um for me, uh, other artists that I listen to that I enjoy that I kind of group you in with, and forgive me if you don't like this, <laughs> is is um, artists like um, Washed Out, um, Neon Indian. Sure. Oh, I mean, and, and I I should have mentioned Neon Indian. His um his last. It's a shame that it's his most recent record because it was what seven years ago. But yeah. the last record he did is Neon Indian Mega International Night School. Um, yeah, had a profound impact on me. Um, it was com it's completely wrong of I me mean, not to mention him in the first breath with the other artists that I said before, right. just in terms of influence. Um, mm -hmm. He was, I mean, that that really showed me that you can, like, you can not just write songs and tell stories, but you can really create places with yeah. um, well-orchestrated analog synths. Yeah, it's incredible, the the music that, that, uh, that, Neon Indian has put out, and hopefully we have another album coming on the way. I, I, I've fun. seen some yeah. stuff on Instagram, so we'll see. I've seen the same stuff. It looks like um, <laughs> it looks like it's been mastered. So hopefully, 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 hearing it soon enough. So, where did your passion for creating come from? Whether that's music or whether that's uh, art. Where your do you have uh, family that was musical? Did were they? No, they, or, not quite the opposite actually um both of my parents are in the art world but not but like more on the the business logistics side not mm -hmm. they're not artists at all um so i grew up going to art shows and and all of that and i'd like to be able to draw a straight line from that to the fact that i you know quote unquote create but i don't actually think that's really true i think that a lot of it to me was just kind of like you're a child it's what you grow up around um what i think was was cool about my parents was that like I was a horrendous student in high school. Um, and I, not for, like I wouldn't do my homework. I just wouldn't do it. I, I just, mm -hmm. I, but what I did do is fortunately, I'd like to think I'd spent a lot of time when I should maybe have been, you know, reading Dickens or whatever, um, learning the ins and outs of Ableton Live and and, you know, deep, deep dives on, microphone technique and learning exactly what a compressor does and why it works and what the different you know, all of the things that i think ended up coming in handy as someone who kind of tries to do it all um mm -hmm. on both the production and engineering sides um 
And my parents gave me a lot of runway to do that and, you know, for, for better or worse. But I think that in high school, that was when the idea that that was when I realized what it was to be a producer, be an engineer, to really make music in a hands-on capacity that isn't just playing an instrument and singing, but mm -hmm. to, to really be the kind of, it's a bit like being a film director where you're really overseeing the entire process um, and learning the, the individual parts that go into that and saying to myself, this is what I want to do. You know, I don't want to just be a guitarist or I don't just want to, you know, singing wasn't really an option for me anyway, because I wasn't much of a singer, but I, um, you, you know, I, I think that sometime in that period of being 14, 15, 16, I sort of realized that what I wanted to do was have my hand in every part of the process. Mm -hmm. um, and that to me was the truest form of creating. Mm -hmm. um, and I say that as someone who's not virtuosic on an instrument, I'm sure if I were, a, you know, a Juilliard caliber piano player, I would feel differently. But yeah. um, as someone who wasn't, I think that what I realized was that my skill was kind of in hearing a, a sort of more macro level, um, looking at arrangements and looking at sounds and hearing the ins and outs of different things and how they relate to the whole. And later on mixing um, all became very appealing to me. Um, yeah. Is it, is, how does it go from, how do you go from creating your own music to helping to produce somebody else's music? You know, if you're, having you know helping uh, another artist create theirs they don't necessarily have that vintage sense pop sound maybe of you're course. helping to produce um you know a rock album a country album uh, whatever else it might be um it is you know you want to you obviously have your sound and your influence in it but you also want to make sure that they have their sound as well so really yeah so that that all is really a credit when i that's jumping ahead a little bit to when i graduated college and i got back to new york i started working with a i mean now just like a, a dear friend but a fantastic guitarist and producer um, by the name of Hendrik Helmer uh, here in New York. And he, I basically was apprenticing with him for years um, and we would record anything. Um, in that time I was doing, you know, a rock album at the same time as a, a meditation tape, whatever needed to be recorded. And I think that that sort of training really helped me drop my own biases and instincts and and be able to, maybe have a better lens toward what a given song needs mm -hmm. rather than what I want for it. Um, yeah. You know, I think that I, in that time I became less stubborn and less dogmatic when I'm working with other artists. Um, Cause you know, I would, I would have to produce a, a, a pop song that's just a pop song mm -hmm. um, or maybe it's like an early two thousands guitar based uh, or like Jason Mraz thing, something that I would not naturally do. Um, but I think that sharpened my skills toward the general idea that you're acting in service of whatever the song wants. Well, and it's and it's in, it's pretty incredible to hear. You know, you have your favorite artists that you like listening to, but then yeah. when you have um, you know an artist that you listen to, but then you can also have favorite producers, and you can tell like when you hear something, you can go, "Oh, that's clearly produced by." you know, Pharrell Williams, or that's clearly produced by Mutt Lang or whatever. You can hear those, those different sounds from those producers. It's still, you're still yeah. listening to Def Leppard. You're still listening to um, Ed Sheeran or whatever it might be, but you can kind of hear, oh wait, that's, that has that sound that, you know, Timbaland makes, or that has that talent yeah. sound that, you know, somebody else does. So you, you still have that, that collaboration of the producer and the actual artist. 
Yeah. When, uh, when, so you went to Brown, is that correct? Yeah, I went to Brown. So you, you graduated with a, a degree in music. Did, um, did you know when you started that you were going yeah. for music or Not did you start all, somewhere else? No, well, so actually, yeah. So I thought I was going to study um, either or both of philosophy and media studies. Um, in high school, I that was, as I mentioned, I was a really bad student in high school. And it wasn't until I took a philosophy class um, that I realized like that that was the first time I was kind of ever academically, like truly engaged. And I was doing reading and writing on my own accord and not just because it was assigned or, you know, whatever. Right. I want to go deeper pretty quickly. Um, and then more specifically, so the, the teacher I was working with was um, a fantastic sort of media theorist by the name of Tom Dizengatita. Um He wrote a great book called Mediated in the early 2000s, which more or less predicted basically the hyper-mediated world that we live in now with you know, social media and all of that, et cetera. Um, and that just really interested me. And then books like um, Neil Postman, Amusing Ourselves to Death, um, that kind of thing really sort of got me into this idea that I wanted to be like an academic, basically, um, in, in that kind of intersection between media studies and, and philosophy. Um, and when I got to Brown, that was my declared major. Um, it was called, it's called modern culture and media. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was, that was the sort of idea because I wasn't like, I couldn't read music coming in, coming into Brown. Um, to me, the idea of studying music as a in a formal university setting was off limits to me because mm -hmm. everyone else in the music department had years of piano or violin or, or something, you know, something that isn't guitar that right. actually requires you to read sheet music. Mm -hmm. um, and in my first semester there, I did take a, on a lark, just an intro to music theory class. Um, you're, I mean, the most basic semester of music theory, which by the way, I think is the only, like the most important one by far. Yeah. Um, it gives you kind of all the tools, everything else is, variations on a theme kind of but it wasn't until i took that class and i had a couple of you know like there were some older students in the class a, a couple tas in particular who were encouraging and were basically like you know because i said you know this is what i want to do i want to make music um i just sort of figured that it wasn't that my particular style of being a producer and the way i was describing earlier wasn't necessarily compatible with you know studying music at brown universe i just all sounded very like it's that's not it wasn't the vibe um and then sure enough it is they have an amazing program there um called with an unfortunate acronym which is meme m-e-m-e -E, standing for multimedia and electronic music experiments um and that's it's in the music program so i got a degree in music but it's also it isn't just you know theory and composition it's theory and composition but it's also recording and production and then getting more into the sort of uh multimedia world so yeah working at you know collaboratively with people in theater or dance um and then doing visual audio visual installations as well um so that all came out of that time and at brown and that was really helpful for me because that showed me that i that you know i could make this work that i could uh and you know now, obviously, like years later, and after studying it, like I'm happy to say that I I do read music now. I don't need to very often. Yeah. Um, that was gonna be my next question. If you actually ever learned how to read music? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, was, it wasn't a fun year and a half, but the first you have to do three semesters of of quite intense music theory. Um, yeah. Even if you're even if you're in this uh, meme program, and that that was hard for me. I mean, I was really like you know I, I 
by the time I got to college, I was a very motivated student and I was a, a good student across the board, but I was getting C's in music theory just because I was, you know, I, I often compare it to like taking an advanced German poetry class while Simon <laughs> simultaneously trying to learn how to speak German. Yeah. Um, so just basic assignments would take me very long because I, I had to like, you know, I was counting out lines and spaces and, and all of that. And mm -hmm. you know, with an, I mean, like anything else, enough repetition gets you there. And, and right. I'm, good now I, I wouldn't want to you know have something put in front of me to sight read on piano but i but you can figure it out <laughs> right. well i was i was in uh the uh middle school band and sure. i was in the percussion area so keeping a beat and playing the drum yeah. no problem i could do that all day long but when they tried to throw me on xylophones i'm out yeah like they're like yeah. no it's Play this music i had to fake my way through a band or through a um a concert once on the xylophones i had no idea what i was doing it's just this sounds right i'm just gonna keep playing this <laughs> there you go if it worked it worked i mean the um you know i it, it was a that was that was a tough year for me the the first couple of years the first two semesters really of music theory um mm -hmm. and then the summer afterwards i spent a lot of time like i took piano i took proper piano lessons and i i really tried to just get like forgetting about sonata form and forgetting about the you know jazz extensions and stuff just really the the absolute fundamentals of music theory i'd spent the summer of i guess 2015 drilling those down and from there on out, it was easier, but it did go to show me that, you know, like anything else, it's a skill that can be learned. And just because I didn't think that, you know, because I'd never read music until, you know, the age of 19 or whatever it was. Um, I'm looking back at my anxieties about that now feel a little silly because it's, you know, like any other subject in, in school or otherwise. If, if you start at the beginning and you and you follow the lesson and you you do your homework as much as I hated doing it, um, you, you do come out the other side knowing something. Right, um, you're not just going to know it the first time you open the book. You got to yeah, actually yeah, study absolutely. it, and and that and that vexed me no end because I wanted to. But yeah, um, you want to know it immediately. Yeah, exactly. So how does how does you know you 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 do this for a profession, but how does this also work its way into your everyday life being creative? So do you find yourself just for fun, like if you're looking for just a creative release, just noodling around on the guitar, playing on the synth, it just kind of. Or is it, do you have, do you compartmentalizing, okay, this is my professional life and now my fun life is I'm going to go watch a movie or I'm going to do something else. He, so I don't compartmentalize like that, as in like whatever it is I'm doing um, for quote unquote professionally is definitely the the driving force in my life mm -hmm. each day. It's what I, at its best, and obviously, you know, like any other creative profession or whatever you're, you're gonna have ups and downs and you're gonna have hard times you're gonna have creative crises and all that fun stuff that comes with you know this but um in in general optimistically speaking when i wake up i hope that what i'm working on is the first thing i think about um and it isn't like you know i don't go home and forget about it um obviously you know i i there's a, there is life beyond it but it, but i think that sure. i don't I, i've never for example i think to answer your question more directly like I've never been able to like do like a nine to five type thing. It's not like I mm -hmm. clock in and, and do the work and then like that, that isn't it. I think, you know, sometimes I sit in the studio trying to come up with an idea and, you know, play the same three notes on in different orders with different timings or whatever for hours and hours and hours and get incredibly frustrated. And then right before I go to bed and have like the moment where I'm like, okay, I, I got it, you know, that kind of thing. But that, so it's, you're sort of all in. Um, but what I'm bad at, however, is multitasking. So um usually i'm working on one project at a time um it's something i'm trying to get better at because obviously when i'm working on my own music for long periods of time that hurts the professional careers and that like i should also be doing projects for clients that you know pay right. um 
And that's something that obviously I, you know, go back and forth between. But at my best, I'm working on one project, and that's kind of the all-consuming thing. Do you have other other uh, creative endeavors that you do outside of um, outside of music? Do you do you draw? Do you paint? Do you have other yeah. creative releases? Uh, yeah, actually, it's funny. My favorite, the only thing that I can really call is like a true hobby because I'm proud to be bad at it is photography. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm. It's something that I. I find that the amount I am getting out and taking pictures is directly correlated to or correlated with, I should say, what I'm doing in the studio. So when I'm really, really working on, for example, what I'm doing right now, which is the next Parlor Magic album, I'm also then I feel like I need the I don't know if it recharges or whatever it is, the inspiration of just going out on the street with a with a camera and shooting you know and it's yeah. the kind of thing that i, I like because with music i every single thing i do whether i like it or not in most cases i don't i i'm putting a ton of pressure on myself to have this be good um right. and and to sort of you know i'm i'm being critical from the jump which is a problem and it's something that i try to work on but when i start writing something there's the sort of immediate kind of the feedback that's going on in the back of your head going oh this is cool and nah, this isn't so good whatever and, and that can get to you um what i like about photography is that i don't really care because usually i mean aside from like a few things that i might throw on instagram no one's gonna see it um so i just it's the only creative outlet that i have that's just entirely kind of joy based if that makes sense yeah Um, i get that i get that i have so i also create music as we've talked about before um uh, under the name creative culture and it started as a hobby of just creating music and at first i was kind of paralyzed with are people going to like this? Is anybody going to listen to it? And then at one point I finally went, I don't even care. Like yeah. I'm just making it for my own creative hobby. I put it on Spotify. I put it out there on, you know, wherever anybody wants to listen to it at, but I put it out there. Just, it's just my own fun. If somebody likes it, great. If not, I mean, I'm not, that's not my source of income. So that's not, yeah. I'm not a music producer. I'm, you know, I have a other uh, nine to five job, but I do it just as a creative outlet. And like you said, like whether you throw something up on Instagram or your photography, somebody to see it, but for the most part, it's for you to have a creative outlet. And that's where, that's where I live with my music as well. And my art is I, I do those just for my own uh, creative. Um, I don't know, to, to keep that creative fire going because for my regular job, I have to be creative <laughs> for as being a designer. Right. And, uh, and so having those other outlets uh, helps me to generate ideas. They, they're kind of cyclical. They, they work off of each other. I totally agree with that. You, you need to, I think that someone close to me once sort of ex- said to me that I, I work best when I'm like, how do I even phrase this? When I, when I'm, when it's my best creative moments come when I have something else going on mm-hmm. and I use it as an outlet, which is exactly what you just said. Um, so even though I'm bad at multitasking, the times where I feel like I have my best moments, uh, musically might be when I only have half an hour because I have like some dumb, you know, I have to go get the car inspected or something, which is what I, yeah. do. um, and, and, you know, you <laughs> we have, all have lives. We all have exactly. to do you know, you life. have half an hour to do something. And of course that's the moment at which the, you know, it, it's the opposite of the seven hours you're spending playing the same three notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just comes more organically. And um, I think that, in a way, photography kind of always feels like that to me because mm-hmm. I there's just no expectation. And like you know, in an ideal world, I'd sit here and say that there's no expectation with Parlor Magic stuff either. But you know, I'm I'm 
I want to do, you know, this is something that it's important to me. Like I, I, enjoy, I love, and to be very clear, I love producing for other people. It's, you know, it's something that I'm happy to do, but Parlor Magic started as a passion project because it was, you know, the first time I ever sung really. Um, mm -hmm. And, and it is quickly turned into something that I would like to one day be able to say like, that's what I do. Like that's my main thing. Yeah. Do you um, have a, do you have a, um, you mentioned your, your, you know, you're singing and whatnot. Do you have when you're songwriting? Yeah. So most of the music I create is just instrumental, you know, yeah. but when you're, when you're actually adding lyrics to it, do you have uh, a process of the, which you do it? Or is there just, you know, you write the music and you listen to it and you go, Oh, I could add some lyrics to this. Or do you have some lyrics and then a song or does it's it matter? It's different every single time. I've tried to figure it out because believe me, I, I would love to optimize my process. The, right. the, the ratio of hours spent to like, songs is astoundingly out of whack for mm -hmm. me i spend a lot of time coming up with bad ideas um yeah. and and that you know obviously is a grind sometimes um but when songs do come it could be anything some i mean i'd say there's a 40 percent of the time it starts with you know i'm singing in the shower and like i boom melody and like i get in here and and you flesh it out and it kind of writes itself or or it's not or it's an instrumental that I, I work on, you know, I love one thing that I found recently um, that's been promising for me is writing on bass, um, just setting out a basic, often just kind of a four on the floor type drum thing, looping that and then just playing a bass over it um, mm -hmm. until it, it locks into a groove or something. And then I found that often that's a good little ignition point, yeah. for, you know, a, a vocal or, or a, synth line or a riff or something but yeah. um but every time i mean looking across i mean even the first album you know they all came from such different places and such different times like some of those songs i wrote sort of like i described like in one go in the shower um yeah. and others were like you know there's like one, one of those songs was an instrumental that i made five or three years earlier five years ago three years earlier Mm -hmm. um and just has sort of had sitting there and never had a melody over it. and then one day i was just like i pulled it up and boom melody and that was the first song on the album well whatever whatever you did for phantom west do that again that's what <laughs> yeah, thank you yeah that 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 was instrumental first um that was that was okay yeah so that was instrumental first with the riff and the bass line mm -hmm. um and then the the verse melody came shortly after that and then the chorus melody and the sort of like the, the backing chorus melody that actually was me again reaching back into something i'd done a few years earlier mm -hmm. uh, which is something i do a lot of um as i said i have a crazy ratio of you know hours to to finished products so what that means is i have a ridiculous library of ideas and yeah. it's funny to sometimes you know look back at things that i discarded as trash two years ago because maybe in that context it was but you know maybe that line or that melody or whatever it is is perfect for what i'm doing right now mm -hmm. um, and the uh the core yeah basically the phantom west chorus was one of those instances um where it just went really well with the the verse that i had going with the with the riff and the baseline yeah i have one of those folders on my desktop uh of just it just says music and it just has random things that i've created it could be a five second loop or it could be a three minute song that i was just like i don't like that but i'll, yep. I'll come back to it. i don't want to get rid of it i spent time making it so Absolutely. we'll see if it works later one of my favorite things to do um on planes when you're when like the no internet access type yeah. situation 
is to go through those and also my voice memos on my iPhone, um, which because because, you know, you, you make a couple each day or whatever, and suddenly you have thousands and you never listen to them again. So I usually it just become a habit to me that when I'm when I travel, that's the time when I actually go back and l- listen through the last whatever six months of voice memos. And more often than not, I'm like, OK, I'll, I'll highlight that one and say, all right, this needs to. I should I should when I get back into the studio, I should pull this up and see if I can turn it into something. Um, it's funny you've mentioned uh, on the airplane. I actually uh, created a few songs while in the air yeah. <laughs> flying from here to Texas. I remember making a few few songs uh, while I was in the in the sky. So was, I mean, I'm a I'm a big um, I'm a huge fan of flight anyway. Um, <laughs> and, and it's something that I, I don't know. I've always been pretty inspired by. Um, actually, there, it's it's that that idea is showing up a little bit on this new parlor magic record but um i've always found that it's a a good sort of creative cuz it's just such a weird situation to be in on a plane yeah. you know yeah. you're you're alone packed in the, you know i don't know it's just well, it's a good I time I was in the middle seat, so I had people yeah. next to me. I'm wondering, what are they even thinking? I'm sitting here pushing. I'm using my my Mac. I'm pushing buttons. I'm making music and like jamming out. And I'm like, are they looking at me? Are they paying attention to what's happening here? Do they have any idea? Uh, they're watching The Office, I'm sure. <laughs> right. right. Um, so do you, do you have a uh, a favorite piece that you've created? Whether that's a, a song that you made or a song you produced or something you're particularly proud of, um, or is it just yeah. the next one up? Well, yeah. So, I mean, that that is the sort of cliched, annoying answer, right? Um, I'll give you a real one because I feel like anytime I hear that question, I roll my eyes when they're like, what? but I think what I do think just to quit before to get ahead of it, though, yeah. is that I think that if you don't think the thing you're currently working on is like, if not the best thing you've ever done, like the thing that you're most excited about, then some, then to me, at least, that's a bit of a red flag. And it's mm-hmm. a bit, like, you know, and that's happened with me. Like, sometimes I'll be working on a song and I'm just like, you know, I'm just not feeling this. And more often than not, there's a reason why. When I come back to it a couple of days later, I'm like, yeah, you know. Um, but usually, any I'd like to think that any song that I've released um, as Parlor Magic, there was at least a moment in time where that was the only song in the world to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you know, as a result, like, yeah, like right now, I mean, I just I played a show um, on Friday, and I played two of the new songs, and like that was, you know, I think I would imagine that maybe people could tell that there was a, a sort of marked difference in interest or intensity as I play. Cause I, you know, you, you're more, you know, the lyrics aren't even finished yet. I'm trying stuff out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that to me is like the the best part of the whole process. It's when you're, you're still, it's also new, you know, and I, and I, I love playing Phantom West live. It's a, a fun song to play and everything, but it just, you know, I think that I would have loved to have played it right when it came out, but because of COVID, I didn't get to play live for about a year and a half. Um, so having to, you know, go back and kind of relearn these songs that I, you know, in some cases forgotten lyrics here or there, that kind of thing. It was, it feels very different to how it might've felt if I were playing a show the day the album came out Mm -hmm. where everything was so fresh and I was excited to kind of get it out by now with the first album, even though I'm very proud of it, I feel like in a number of ways I'm, I'm moving on and, you know, moving into sort of new territory and hopefully it's just going to kind of be better um mm-hmm. and, and all of that so i'm more excited about the new stuff um so to answer your question you know right now um yeah you know there there are a couple of songs that i'm really excited about on the new album but i would say that like if i were to be to, to give the answer that i would want to hear um i think that limelight off the last album is probably my best from a songwriting perspective 
Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that was one that came incredibly quickly. Um, and it came pretty late in the process as well, but it was the kind of thing where as soon as I, really, as soon as it arrived, more or less, I knew a, that it was gonna be the last song on the album and B that it was going to bring me into sort it was going to kind of act as a summation of, of everything that had come before it. And that's where like, you know, the name of the record gets thrown in that song and, and all that. And I just think that was a very, if I could take one song off of the first album to sort of summarize where I was at that time in my life, Limelight would be at a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good song. I mean, it's a good one to choose, you know, yeah. no Phantom West, but you know, it's whatever. <laughs> it's just kidding. No. So who, uh, who is it that's, we've talked a lot about, you know, what inspires you and who you're yeah. listening to. Is there, is there anything else out there that you're listening to that we haven't, you know, mentioned any, um, any yeah, like local well, artists or any, this, one, you know, this, this is an easy one for me. Um, okay. I've spent the lion's share this year and I, I'm being completely serious when I say this, listening to Lana Del Rey. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is an artist who I really enjoyed hearing her debut in 2014. I liked it a lot, but then I kind of tuned out for the rest of her, the, you know, the next eight years or whatever. So it, you know, um, it, it wasn't until February or March that I started listening to some of her newer output. And um, I'm the first to say that I think that she's one of our, one of our best in terms of songwriting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that the songwriting on her most recent record, Blue Bannisters in particular, actually is really astonishing. I actually, I covered a song um, of hers on Friday because uh, I wanted to uh, sort of for fun type thing. But, yeah. uh, you know, I, I think that, inspiration comes in weird places um she was not an art you know she as i said i liked the first album i never and you know give it too much thought and sometimes someone or something just comes out of nowhere and just sort of slaps you in the face and makes you see something a little bit differently mm-hmm. um, and this has definitely been the year of lana for me yeah i think she's one of those artists that for the for john q public she kind of flies under the radar but for people who are in you know, the music world really appreciate uh, the work that she's created and produced. And just what she's become, because there was, I mean, and also, you know, there was this like kind of cringeworthy now, somewhat sexist discourse on the internet around the time of her debut album. And I know she played SNL and like the vocal performance wasn't great. And people were like, oh my God, she's a fraud. She can't sing or all that Mm -hmm. stuff. And, And I think that for her to have not only, you know, escaped the shadow of that kind of internet fueled frenzy but to then blossom into what i really do think is one of the greatest living songwriters um that we have is an incredible thing um because and as i said i liked her first album but i wouldn't have seen you know a song like the title track on the the new album or um song called wildflower wildfire i wouldn't have seen that kind of songwriting coming from um video games or summertime sadness it's, it's fun to see how artists evolve over time from the where their their first album i always i have a theory that it takes artists three albums to really figure out who they are that's important to me then that makes me feel, <laughs> that makes me feel a lot better i got time you, you the, the first one you know you, you think you know what you're doing you're coming out whatever and then the second one you know you can take a little more chances and the third one is really kind of where i feel like artists really fall into where they are maybe that's why i like day and age so much for the killers yeah, the yeah. third album but yeah day and age was, was great because that was like that was the first one of theirs that i was looking forward to mm-hmm. like, i think I, I i came into the killers post samstown mm-hmm. um so i remember like i remember the release of day and age and i believe it was November ish of 2008. 
Mm. And um, yeah, that, that was huge for me. But yeah, I mean, I, I again, that is an immensely appealing sentiment to me as I'm embarking on a, a second album, mm. which has been a lot harder to write, to be transparent, than the first one, because um, the first one, there was really no expectation. And I'm not talking about expectation from anyone other than myself, but I didn't even know what a me solo album would sound like until it existed. Yeah. Now that so, I have the first one as mm -hmm. a baseline, I care deeply that the second one is really just to be reductive here, better in every facet. Right. Um, yeah. Well, and, and how much do you do you look at that and say you have to toe this line of you want it to sound like parlor magic, right? You want people to hear it, but you don't want to produce the exact same album again. You know, Absolutely. you don't want to, you don't want to make, uh, you know, the, the fluid neon origami trick too. You know, exactly. you want to keep moving forward, but you don't want to get so far off the path that people are like, who's this? Right. So I think that part of that, I, I, I saw this whole thing coming a little bit. So that was part of the MO behind quickly re recording and then very quickly releasing an EP right after. Um, mm -hmm the Hydrogen Palace EP, which came out mid last year, mm. um, which, you know, I'm not nearly as proud of as I am. I think that if, if I can be critical about it, I think I think that the songwriting is there in many places, but I think the execution was just a bit quick, which which was the, that was the exercise. So it isn't even really like a mistake or anything I regret, but um, I wanted to quickly release something else just so that that didn't, just to prove that I could, you know, yeah. just so I could prove that I wasn't just, that I'd made this one thing and and that was the only thing I, that was the only idea I had. Mm -hmm. Um, and fortunately, you know, I think that if there's one thing I can say about the new material, it's that it doesn't really sound like a sequel. Mm -hmm. Um, there are places in which I'm, I'm actually having to bring it intent. Like I have to intentionally pull things back into the parlor magic world where if, you know, if it's getting a little bit too far out, um, and I think that, you know, the approach to songwriting has evolved a little bit too after the first one, cause I can, I think I'm more comfortable playing around with ideas. I think on the first album, a lot of times I would write a song and it was, for example, Phantom West was written in F minor. It's an F minor. And that's going to, that's the way that's going to be forever. Mm -hmm. um, the lyrics were written quite quickly and the vocals were done really quickly. I did, every, I did all of the vocals with a couple of overdub exceptions in one night, um, which I don't recommend for anybody. <laughs> um, I think that this sort of longer, gestation process for this album has led me to you know to play around with what key should this what key does the song really want to be in regardless mm -hmm. of what i wrote it um you know i'm having way more time to think about my lyrics i'm writing them earlier in the process now um and i just i think that i don't want to say lessons from the first one because that that sounds like a negative about the first one i think that well, was we can learn and grow you know from anything yeah. yeah exactly i think that you know there's something to be said for just modifying parts of the approach a little bit mm -hmm. um i would like to say that when this all is said and done i'll think of this album as feeling more intentional mm -hmm. um and feeling just a little bit more thought through um and maybe less guided by just pure like energy for better or worse which yeah. i think this one was do you have a timeline? I'm not asking for a release date yeah, but do you yeah. have a timeline of when you when you're hoping to get this uh album wrapped up yeah, more or less, actually. I mean, I don't release date is going to be tricky because I uh, would, you know, I'm going to try to see if anyone wants to join me on this release, uh, anyone being like companies, etc. Um, but in terms of the timeline, 
I am doing three weeks of recording in Berlin, of all places, um, in January with uh, this amazing singer named Luca Chesney. She's my vocal coach, but she's also a producer in her own right and a great musician. Um, and the idea there, and I'm saying this now in mid-October, so knowing myself, things might change. But yeah. the idea is that in January, I'll be in Berlin doing what will hopefully be the final vocals for the album, which means that with additional production and mixing, I would like to have the album finished by the middle of next year. Mm -hmm. um, released is going to be a bigger question. If it's going to be me, then that means, you know, maybe September. If it's not going to be me, it might be longer than that. Yeah. Um, but I would definitely say that I'm hoping to hand the record over to Fab DuPont, who mixed the first one and is going to mix this one as well um, by by the spring, by by March or April, for sure. Yeah. Well, it's uh, great. I look look forward to hearing the the new music as it comes. Yeah. Um, hey, the, the last thing I'd like to ask you, if mm -hmm. uh, and I ask this of every person sure. that comes on my podcast, is if you're uh, if you're standing in front of a classroom full of creatives, whether you're back at Brown in front of a classroom full of uh, uh, musicians or you know just anybody in the creative world, um, what kind of advice would you give them? I want to think about this because I don't want to get it wrong, but I, but before I do, I want to say that I'm not one to give advice because I wouldn't, knowing me, I wouldn't take advice from myself. I'll put it that way. But if I were to give advice, I think something that um, my an, an old friend who also, I took uh, some drum lessons a few years ago, a great drummer named Alex Alexander um, here in New York told me is that, and he said this actually right before I went to Vegas to uh, to make the origami record. Um, he said that if you have an idea, just remember that you have it for a reason and nobody else has that idea. Um, and, and to treat it with the respect that it deserves, because I think that I'm, and I'm sure many people in a creative field are, I'm guilty of being very self-critical at times. Mm -hmm. And, um, sometimes I kind of write off my own instincts, um, say, oh, this isn't any good or whatever. But if you have an idea, really listen to it i would say doesn't mean it's going to be the best thing ever but but what he said i'm sure i'm butchering his advice here i'm sure i but but it did stick with me and and it was basically if you have an idea know that it's your idea for a reason and it's not anybody else's yeah i think that's great advice you yeah. you know you have you have a reason for creating and you know whether it's for yourself or whether it's for somebody else there may only be one other person out there that really enjoys what you do but uh, if you enjoy what you're doing, then, you know, keep at it. Hey, I usually end on that, but I have a question now. <laughs> One more question. Absolutely. You mentioned that you, you flew out to Vegas to mm -hmm. record part of the origami trick or yeah. all of it, however much you did. Yeah, By no. any chance, did you record at Battleborn Studios? No, Battleborn Studios, I don't believe exists anymore. Oh, I don't think it does either, but I didn't um, know if, back then if it was still around. No, although I will say that that I, I mean, so I'm a diehard fan of, of Las Vegas in general as a, as a place. I think it's great. Mm -hmm. um, they love the killers there. They are really proud of the killers. Whenever mm -hmm. I'd have a conversation with someone who was like, you know, like, what are you doing here? And I sort of explained that I'm there to record an album or whatever. Inevitably, either the killers or Imagine Dragons would come right. up. And yeah, uh, yeah no, they, they, they love the killers in Vegas for sure. <laughs> well, Luke, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate I, you taking the time. Great chat. I really appreciate it. And 
if uh, if anybody is interested in listening to Parlor Magic, you should be because it's awesome. Uh, you can find it on on Spotify uh, and wherever else you find music, Amazon and iTunes and what have you. Um, or you can go to parlor-magic.com. That's P-A-R-L-O-U-R-magic.com. Um, Luke, thank you so much for joining well, us. Only other thing I'll just quickly plug mm -hmm. here. If, if you have any listeners who are in the New York City area, I have two Parlor Magic shows coming up. Um, on uh, November 23rd is the first one at a venue called Berlin under A. It's on 2nd and A. And then on December 17th, I'm playing the Delancey, which is on Delancey Street. So if anyone's in New York, come out. We'll have a great time. Mention this podcast and I'll even buy you a drink. Awesome. You need to come uh, come perform in Indiana. Come, I would love come to. Come to Indianapolis to or... I'm hoping to tour next year, for sure. Bloomington or something. So I'll, I'll, be, I'll be there. Fantastic. I look forward to it. All right. Thank you so much, Luke. Have All a good right. day. Dustin, thank you. Each week on Create, Talk, Repeat, I want to leave you with some creative task or inspiration, something to get your creative juices flowing. Many times we find creative inspiration in something we have read. So what I want you to do is go to the library and find a book to read gasp go to the library yes get out of your digital bubble and go to your local library it's filled with free books and resources just for you walk up and down the stacks looking at the books that interest you it can be a collection of short stories or a full novel that you think sounds interesting try to find some time in the next week to visit the library read a book and relax i hope this helps you on your creative journey Thanks for listening to Create, Talk, Repeat. Create Talk Repeat is a Brenton Creative production. Created and hosted by me, Dustin Brenton. Development and brainstorming assistance by Darren Caldwell. Music by Creative Culture. Follow us on Facebook at Create Talk Repeat or visit our website at createtalkrepeat.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to us on. And don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode.